Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thanks so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. At the end of the episode, I will play the next four chapters from Trying to Die in the Wild West, narrated by Stephen Barnett. Hopefully you guys are enjoying that story. No death scenes are going to be played, but you can check those out on the real audiobook, which is sold everywhere, or you can hit me up and ask for a free copy. I have free Spotify download codes, so hit me up, ask for that, I will send it to you, and hopefully you will like it, write a review, tell your friends, all that good stuff. Oh man, a lot going on this week. It is Friday morning. I often record this on Thursday night, so I can go train Friday morning. Last week I was talking about all the jujitsu I'd been doing, how good I was feeling. We had my son's awesome 10th Planet birthday party on, it was his 10th birthday. We did a 10th Planet Whittier. It was awesome. Lots of buddies showed up. Their older brothers, my daughter got back on the mat. There was a drill where she had to go against a boy her age, pretty strong, pretty aggressive. I could see that lit the fire in her to get back at it. So now she wants to train again, which is awesome. My son had a lot of fun. A couple of his friends are now going to sign up, which is awesome. So now he has more training partners his size. Very cool. And I know how good it is going to be for these kids. I see already one of the kids was very nervous about going. Wasn't sure if he was even going to get on the mat. Was maybe just going to watch. He ended up having a great time. I think it taught him a lot about himself. He showed up the next day, had another great practice, wants to sign up now. So very cool to see what that can do for kids. Overall, well-being, confidence, all that good stuff. For myself, I had a very good practice Monday morning. Ended up not being able to go at night or I was just too tired. Same thing on Tuesday, didn't go at night because I did four or five hours of driving that day, brain training by six o'clock at night, pretty done. So decided not to go, trying to listen to my body. Wednesday was a good workout. I'm really excited about it. I took off Thursday and I was going to go this morning, but yesterday, yeah, yesterday was not a fun day. I had a fill-in replaced. That was okay. was pretty quick. wasn't very painful. But then I went to go see an orthopedic, a sports specialist, about my knee and my hip. I could ask them about all kinds of shit, but I was like, well, how long can this appointment be? Let's focus on my right leg. So I kind of had a feeling I knew what he was going to say. But the funny thing is, I guess I saw this doctor five years ago. Neither one of us remembered each other. I was like, ah, what was that for? Why did I go see him? And I'm pretty sure it was for my shoulder. My shoulder was really bad. It was, it was so painful that I was going to need surgery. I, I don't want to say what he had said, but I'm guessing he had told me the same kind of stuff he told me yesterday. So with my shoulder, I think the advice I was getting was surgery and stem cells wouldn't do shit for it. I did stem cells with a different doctor and my shoulder's awesome now. I'm able to do everything. I don't have any more problems. But yesterday, we were talking about my knee, the AC. I still need to get the MRI on it, but they did x-rays. He did a test in it. He was able to see still how swollen it is. He was surprised that I was still doing jujitsu on it, but didn't say anything too negative about it. But a torn ACL, so we'll get the MRI to figure that out and talk about surgery or different therapies. And then had him look at my hip, and my hip is 
fucked the amount. That's pretty much what he told me. I mean, he so many times he just kept saying, getting old sucks, getting old sucks. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, dude. I know, I know. Like, all right, that's cool. Getting old sucks. I'm not depressed. I wasn't depressed yet. On the way home is kind of what hit me. My dad had hip replacement, I believe, last year and recovered pretty quickly. But in my mind, like, how long would that take me off the mat? Just having to have surgery at all would suck. My wife was telling me, you know, be positive about it. You could do your your knee surgery, your hip surgery, your back tattoo, fix that all up and whatever else at the same time. It's like, yeah, that's that'd be all right. But just now getting back into jujitsu, getting passionate about it again, knowing that I would have to take off a super long time, that would suck. But yeah, my hip, the arthritis in my hip is pretty damn terrible. He said there's no way. He couldn't even go in and shave stuff off because it's already so advanced. I've just been living with and training with a good amount of pain for a long time. My flexibility in that hip has definitely deteriorated, but I am going to make an appointment with Dr. Yoon to ask him about stem cells for both the knee and the hip and whether it can help. I'm willing to try that first, even though it's a decent amount of money. I think that's a way better option probably for me than going right into surgery, especially at only 50, you know, only 50. It's like, shit, fucking 50. <sighs> Be 51 in August. August 19th, if you want to send me a birthday present for my birthday this year, write me a goddamn review. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Or buy a book. Either way, I'll be happy. Or say happy birthday. Or don't do anything. I don't expect anything. You guys don't owe me shit. So just have a good day yourself. That's actually enough of a birthday present. And that shit's a ways away. So why are we even talking about my birthday? I don't know. Talking about how fucking old and broken I am, I guess. God damn it. But not a big deal. He gave me different options. He was saying, you know, his philosophy on training with injuries and if you should do it or not. Like, the jiu-jitsu might be tearing up my knee more by training the way I am. Although I'm trying to be smart. But still, when I am rolling, sometimes I'll even try to go on a rubber guard with my bad knee. And that's so stupid. And even some of the drills I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing. And coach tells me. But then I'll be like, oh, well, I want to test it and see how I do. So that's probably why it's all swollen and all that. But I need to figure out what I'm willing to risk, what I'm willing to do. But I definitely am going to make an appointment with the doctor about stem cell because I at least want to hear what he says before I get anything done. So that is that. I won't know for a while because I still don't even get the MRI for another shit five weeks. So that's that. As far as work, that's another reason why I haven't been doing a whole lot because I have been focused on getting books finished. So trying to die at death fest, I ordered the print copy. So I ordered that paperback, the proof. I have the advanced ebook ready to go. Although Pat, my editor, suggested some more changes because I got kind of lazy. I knew I could have fixed it up a little bit more. I was like, I got to work on Ghostland and these other things and it's good enough and I'm done. But I talked to him one more time. I was like, okay, these are quick, easy changes. It'll be fast and easy to update the ebook, and it'll be worth it to do the paperback. So if this proof looks good, I'll make whatever changes I need and then just accept the new proof and get those out. So again, those are just the advanced copies. So there's really no rush there. What I have been trying to rush is Ghostland. We are, so Pat gave me the notes back on it. He did an amazing job. This is only half. The, 
Try Not to Die at Ghostland is the longest Try Not to Die that we have. I think the main story alone was 50,000 words. Duncan killed it. So that's awesome. I've been going back through that. This is the final thing before we print the paperback, the, the proof of it to make sure it looks good. But again, we're trying to get this shit done in the next four to five weeks. So he has it in time for Texas. I think I forget the name of the convention he's going to there. But that's what we are trying to do with that book. We are going to do the launch the same day as the cover reveal. So you guys won't be able to see his cover until the book is released. We still haven't seen the official cover because it's still being worked on. There had to be some changes. Hopefully it will be done by Monday so I can get the proof ordered. But reading through it one last time, looking for these little errors, man, I'm so excited. This is going to be an awesome book. I cannot see someone not liking it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there will be some negative reviews, but it's a really good book. It's definitely the one I'm most excited about in the Try Not to Die series. Although whatever book I'm working on, I'm really excited about. I'm also really excited about Try Not to Die at Death Best. You know, Wild West was cool. All the books have been cool, but... I don't know, trying to go slam, I see, I see its strength, just how big it is, how well thought out the death scenes are, they're a lot longer, they're kind of misleading, there are less choices throughout, but I think altogether it's still like 28 death scenes, so that's a lot of death, a lot of mayhem, a lot of sadness, so I think you guys are going to dig it, that's one, I was like, shit, I'd guarantee this book. One of the cool things, because we, Duncan and I this week, we're talking about like, Okay, who are we going to go through? We go through Lightning Source to print it, but they've been taking a long time. The last people I used were drafted digital. I was very happy with the quality of the book, how fast it came. But I just realized a reader in the UK brought to my attention the price on Amazon of the paperback. It was very high. It's 34 bucks. They were selling some copies at regular price, which is awesome. So that wasn't a big deal, but I checked Canada, and Canada was said like thirty ninety three for a for the paperback. And I wrote to draft a digital. I said, "Hey, what's going on?" None of my other paperbacks that I've done through Lightning Source or through Amazon have been put at a higher price. Sometimes it's a little bit higher, but never anything like that. That's ridiculous. And they just said that they don't control it. They can't control it. Blah blah blah. It's not their fault. It's Amazon's. Well. Since Trying to Die at Ghostland is being put out with a Canadian author, the very last thing in the world I want is for the prices to be jacked up in Canada. So I think we are going to go with KDP on that. The cool thing about that is if we go through Amazon's KDP program right now, they have the UK Storyteller Contest. We will qualify for that if we put it, our book into KDP, both print and ebook, until I think the end of the year. That's kind of what we're thinking about doing anyhow. So it works out perfectly. We will enter that. And I think our chances of becoming a finalist should be really good. Not only because of the quality of the writing, but because it's so different. There aren't a lot of choose your own adventure type books. Not a lot of interactive type books. So smaller playing field. It's kind of unique. Good writing. We'll see what happens. So we'll enter that next month when we release it. Should be the first or second week of July. And we will be getting copies of the ebook to advanced readers really soon. As soon as I'm done doing this paperback copy, going through all of this, next thing I do is format the ebook. That shouldn't take me too long. It's a little bit of a pain in the ass because of all the different links, making sure those links are correct. And but whatever, I've done it so many times, it won't take me that long. As far as writing, that's pretty just a lot of focus right now on getting this book done. Once this book is done, I move to the next one. 
and then the next one, the next one, the next one. So I've got a lot going on. My wife just came up with a new plan. It is to stop working at 50, or at least stop working as a lawyer, to stop her law firm when she turns 50 in three years. So that's awesome. I've been hoping that she would do that for a long time. She's done an incredible job of cutting down her hours, enjoying her life, taking off for jujitsu, doing stuff with the kids. All that has been amazing. But to get rid of one more stressor would be great. Maybe she'll go teach jiu-jitsu. Who knows what she wants to do? She has so many talents. She could do whatever she wants. But it got me thinking, okay, what do I want to be doing in three years? Well, obviously still writing. But it'd be nice to be done with the Try Not to Dies in three years. I don't want to continue them. Even if it really takes off, which I think it's going to, I can't see myself doing more than the 20, 25 that I already have contracted. Only because I have so much other writing that I would like to get to. I don't know when I'm going to get to those things. So I still have the Messiah. There's four more books in that series, plus a series of short stories with just one bullet. There's a trilogy, a fantasy trilogy that I have plotted out that's tattooed on my back. So yeah, it'd be nice to get that shit done. I have a lot of other work. Our fucked up family. That's, you know, a solid book. 33 different short stories that make this entire book. So there are a lot of little things that I would like to get done other than try not to die. Try not to die is our fun. I think it's going to be really successful. I think that will help blow up my career and these different authors. It should help them as well. But that's what I want to do forever, I don't think. But we'll see. Three years is a long time. Fuck, who knows what I'm going to be feeling like next week, right? I changed my mind quite a bit. But that's all good. It's all about rolling with the punches. Whatever, I don't know, just deal with whatever you are facing today. I try not to think too far in the future. Definitely don't look back, or I try not to look back, right? Because all that matters right now is like, okay, this is the state. This is the state of my body. This is the state of my mind. This is the state of my writing, whatever. So that's all I'm going to focus on. All right, guys, I'm going to get out of here because I still need to write a newsletter, edit this, put it out, all that good stuff. So, and there are no specials this week. I'm sorry. I was hoping to have the Try Not to Die sampler ready. That's almost done, but I was waiting on Ghostland first. So that's just about all formatted, and that should be out next. I will release the Try Not to Die reading this sampler next week. That will have chapter one plus the death scenes for Try Not to Die at Ghostland and, and Try Not to Die at Death Pass. So that will be your first taste of those things. All right, guys. So in the meantime, let's go out on this. The next four chapters from Try Not to Die in the Wild West, narrated by Stephen Barnett, co-authored by John Palisano. If you have not checked it out, I suggest you get on it. All right, guys, have an incredible week, and I'll talk to you later. Peace. The inside of the Sidewinder feels like a keg full of dynamite about to blow. I toss Reese his last two horseshoes and haul my bag off the counter. I'll be right back, I tell him. He nods, keeps his eyes on the action over by the dartboard. Take your time, kid. This might get ugly. No one's paying me any attention, so I disregard the staff-only sign and slip inside the storeroom. Jolene's got her back to me, both hands against the wall like she's holding it up, her dark red hair hanging halfway down her back. I stand in silence like a dumb lump for a few moments, thinking about how I've never even talked to her before, only admiring her from afar. You okay? Not even turning to look, she says, Are you my knight in shining armor? Nah, 
not like that at all, I say, shaking my head. You're bigger than me. I mean, like, older. Just thought since we're close in age, I should come see. Well, kiddo, she says, turning to face me, her usually snow-white skin now red and blotchy. Jolene uses a dish towel to wipe her eyes and lets out a big sigh. You're seeing all right. The silence is awkward. I don't know what else to say or why I'd even come in. So? What do you want? She asks, her voice a little softer. To get the hell out of here? I jostle the saddlebag. Maybe avoid jumping John and the gang? Don't want them stealing my wares or gunning me down, you know? She nods. Well, they sure could, couldn't they? They're not too friendly. She laughs. The worst of the worst is what they are. Get off on hurting and killing wherever they lay their hats. They once split a horse down the middle to make sure folks knew they were serious. I nod because I've heard the stories. Jumpin' John shot a man dead at Carter's saloon for unknowingly ordering the last shot of whiskey, she says. They robbed a whole train, conductor and kids alike, and left not a one breathing. They let the train keep going and going until it ran out of fire. Took weeks till the law could catch up and figure out what happened. They knew it was them because the jumpers bragged about it in every bar from here to Nevada. Well, not good people by any shot, I say. That's for damn sure. Jolene looks past me at the door, tears welling in her eyes. I'm supposed to go back out there to help. You think your pa wants you out there with those monsters? No, but... The bang on the door behind me makes me jump. A man says, Come on out, darling. Jolene's face goes white as she backs against the wall. It's him, she mouths. I slide off my saddlebag and wave Jolene to the side with my hand so she'll be hidden by the door. I squash down all my fear and crack open the door, find myself face to face with Henry Hans Anderson a foul-smelling cowboy, a glob of chew and spit glistening on his bushy beard. Can I help you? Henry's bloodshot yellow eyes go wide like he wasn't expecting anyone to open up. You ain't her. Who? The pretty little thing with the fire-red hair and the porcelain face, he says. Dusty's girl. Just seen her run out the back door. Seemed to be in a hurry. Henry humps and spins away, so I close the door. Jolene thanks me, sets down the kitchen knife she's gripping. I couldn't go with him, and you won't have to. A man screams in pain from the main room, yelling something about his throat. There's more shouting and bottle breaking, men saying filthy words I won't ever repeat. We ain't gonna want to stick around for this. Jolene nods. Best to make ourselves scarce, she says as she heads down the narrow hallway. Come on. I follow Jolene through the door that leads to the kitchen. It bangs shut behind me, but the fight's so loud no one would hear it anyway. Jolene keeps going for the rear of the kitchen. There's a door to the outside near the back of the pantry. More banging from the main room. Two men talking outside the kitchen door. One of them says something about grabbing the expensive bottles from the cupboard. The door back here's locked, Jolene hollers, her voice so loud. Hey, Stephen, one of the men says. You hear that? <laughs> A damsel in distress, 
Stephen says with a little chuckle. Check it out. I'll get Roy. Oh, crap. It's the Wilson brothers. They can't be trusted with a woman on her own, and I'll have hell to pay if they recognize me. Maybe there's time to block the kitchen door or talk my way out of things. The window above the sink looks big enough to slip through. I bet if I scramble out, the brothers will follow me and leave Jolene alone. Stephen Wilson's about to walk through that door, and I need to stop him before he lays eyes on Jolene. And seeing how he's half a foot taller than me, stopping him won't be easy. I keep my head down and open the door, saddlebag slung over my shoulder. I ignore the pair of boots blocking my way and walk right toward them. Excuse me, I say in my deepest voice. Coming through. The boots move to the side, but only for a second. Hold on, partner, he says, his hand on my shoulder. Why so sneaky? The fighting still rages in the saloon. Trying to stay safe, I say, keeping my gaze down, not liking the looks of the holstered six-shooter on his right hip, the sheathed buoy on his left. Got scared. Stephen lets out a little laugh, grabs hold of my chin, and raises it. I know you, he says with a shit-eating grin. He flips my hat off, his rugged, leather-like face suddenly serious, showing no sign of emotion. The forger's son, ain't it? That's right, I say. Now, if you'll just... I won't, Stephen says. You and I got unfinished business. Maybe today's not the day. We don't want to get involved in none of that, I say. We should get out of this place before all that spills into here. Maybe it's better, because no one is going to butt in this time to save you. I'm sorry, I say. I shouldn't have said nothing. Stephen had been finishing a deal with Pa while Roy and Luke were pocketing stuff. I'd been out back tossing horseshoes and seen the whole thing, called attention to their scheme. Pa almost took their heads off, threw their money back, told them never to come back. Look, I didn't mean to get you in trouble. I gestured in my bag. How about you take what you'd like? We can both walk out of here friends. He eyes me suspicious. How about I take all of it? My insides turn into a knot, but I don't show it and just give a small nod. If that's what you want, take it. Stephen smiles, flips open the flap. Hmm, he says, taking his time pulling out a pair of horseshoes and a small hammer. I think this'll suit me just fine. Sounds fair? You're a boy with a big mouth, Stephen says. But I get she was looking out for your pa. You just looking out at the wrong man is all. I didn't mean, course you didn't. Ain't gonna tattle on us ever again, Stephen says, snarling like a rabid coyote. Consider this a lesson well learned, right, amigo? Yes, sir, I say, grateful it didn't cost more. Stephen heads down the hallway, disappears into the mass of bodies in the main room. Fists flying, torsos twisting, full-on bar fight. Something taps my shoulder and I nearly jump out of my skin. Man, I'll be dipped in turpentine, I tell Jolene. You scared me so bad. Barely got out of that one, she says, handing me my hat. She pats my arm as she heads past. The back door to the outside's locked, so we gotta go through the saloon. That knot in my belly doubles in size. 
I follow her into the fray, sticking close. Jolene ducks and a bottle explodes against the wall a foot from my face. The sound rings in my ears and my cheek stings. It's just a scratch with a bit of blood. Jolene grabs hold of my wrist and pulls me along. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and keep moving. I'm right behind her, my bag slowing me down. The sidewinder is a madhouse, men fighting everywhere I look. There's no way out, I cry. Jolene nods toward the small staircase. We've got a way up. I follow her up and catch a wind of clove and lavender coming off her. I can only imagine how ripe I must smell in comparison. Halfway up the stairs, I glance at the floor below. Men swing and fall in every direction, but I don't see any eyes on us. At the top, there's a walkway ahead. To the right, there are several closed doors. Far down, the left side opens and offers a balcony view of the floor below. We're not close enough to get spotted. Jolene tries the door closest to us. Locked. Damn it all, she says. Big Bill keeps his place like a jail. Voices behind us, from the dark hallway. Thankfully, it's from behind one of the doors. A man hollering how his time ain't up. We get to the second door. It's locked, too. Jolene hurries past the third door and goes right to the fourth. There's a big S on it. Miss Savannah. Oh, hell. She's a tough one. Ain't going to let us in, I'm sure. Knocking three times, skip a beat, then a fourth. Jolene looks back at me and puts a finger to her lips, signaling me to stay quiet. The handle jostles. The door unlocks. Miss Savannah's ice-blue eyes look through the slit just above the chain. Darling, what are you doing up here? She asks, her voice somehow strong and soft at the same time. Jumpers are trying to have me for free, Jolene says. What about him? Miss Savannah nods to me. Got a no-boy policy. You know the rules. Rocky's looking out for me, she says. I'm surprised Jolene knows my name, and I try hard not to blush while Miss Savannah studies me. All right, she says, as she undoes the chain and ushers us inside, locks the door. But just until they pass, not a minute longer. I rest the saddlebag against the far wall and say, Thank you, Miss Savannah shushes me and points under her bed. Go, now, she says, her voice no more than a whisper. The bed's barely off the ground, just room enough for me to scurry under, careful of the boards pressing on my back. I pull the bed skirt down, leaving a few inches to see out of, and crawl back as far as I can. Not how I imagined my first time in a lady's room. Jolene sits down on the chair opposite the bed, only the hem of her skirt and boots visible. There's a bang on the door. Hey, ladies, a man says. I hope he's just a drunk from downstairs, but going by the way Jolene's boots are quaking, I'm guessing it's Henry. Miss Savannah goes to the door. Why, yes, she says, singing the words. She cracks the door, but I can't see anything. Pardon me, ma'am, he says. Was looking for a certain someone. Seems like you're seeking a little attention that's not on the end of a fist, she says. I can be with you at the top of the hour. Give me some time to make myself a lady. Uh-uh, he says. No disrespect, but the lady I had my eye on is right behind you there. 
prettiest little thing I ever seen. She's not for hire, Miss Savannah says, her voice lower in pitch. She ain't of age. Well, now, first time for everything, ain't there? Not today. I'm sorry. There's a loud grunt and the busted chain goes flying, the door knocking Miss Savannah back toward the bed. Henry's dirty brown boots walk right up to Miss Savannah. You mean to tell me you ain't going to take care of a paying customer? Maybe I should bring all us paying customers up here and form a line. Listen, Henry, you can't. This here's Dusty's little girl. I know who she is. Then you'll know she's off limits. He steps closer. I've never been too keen on rules. You can't, there's a loud smack and Miss Savannah yelps. Jolene jumps to her feet and shouts, Get off her fingers! My heart's racing just as fast as my mind. I should slide out and hit Henry upside the head with an iron before he hurts anyone else. But my body's frozen. He faces Jolene. What'd you call me? Fingers. It's what all the girls call you behind your back, Jolene says. Everyone thinks you're nasty, doing stuff that just ain't right. What I like is what I like, he says. Ain't no matter to no one. His boots move closer to hers. Miss Savannah gets between them. Stay away from her, she says. I'll get dusty up here. You'll have half the town on you before you know it. I'll be long gone before anyone even knows. After today's score, I'm leaving and ain't ever coming back. Well, get gone now. Miss Savannah says with a grunt. Henry stumbles back a step, then laughs. There's an even louder smack, and Miss Savannah crumples to the ground a few feet from me. Eyes closed, a trickle of blood rolling out her nose. This is just going to hurt a bit for as long as I need it to, Henry says. It's been too long since I had something unbroken like you. No, Jolene says. Please don't. Henry laughs and Jolene screams for help. I'm hoping someone's going to come running through the door and stop him, but maybe not with all the chaos down below. If I want to get a weapon from my bag, I've got to slide out from under the bed and go over Miss Savannah. I've also got the knife in my front pocket, nothing stopping me from rolling out the other side and attacking. Henry's boots are facing the corner, pressed against Jolene's. I slide out from under the bed and roll on top of Miss Savannah, hoping she doesn't wake. Jolene keeps begging Henry to stop, his left hand on her shoulder, his right hand moving around by his belt buckle. No one's coming to save her. I roll off Miss Savannah and grab hold of the saddlebag, flip open the flap. I'm pulling out a stirrup when it slips and falls back into the bag with a clank. What in hell? Henry spins toward me, his pants halfway down, his man finger flopping around like a fish out of water. Get off her, I say getting to my feet and snatching up my bag. Henry pulls his arm back like he's going to punch a hole through me. I swing the bag with everything I've got and let it fly, his hand no match for the 40 pounds of metal flying at his face. The bag connects with a sickening thud, the window shattering as the bag blasts Henry through it, his boots slamming off the windowsill, knocking loose the remaining glass. I get to the window just in time to see Henry land flat on his back the bag crashing into his head. Oh, Christ, I whisper as blood spreads round. 
Jolene peers over my shoulder. Don't, I say, turning us away from the window, trying not to throw up all over her. I think I just killed a man. Jolene sits me on the bed, tells me to stay calm. She goes to the window, holds a hand to her mouth. Oh my goodness. Is he dead? I ask, knowing how stupid that sounds. Jolene cocks her head to the side like a dog that just heard something interesting. Deader than dead, I'd wager. There's commotion outside the window, yelling from the street. Jolene peeks out. Here come the looky-loos. Pa's gonna be so mad. How am I gonna get back my bag? The saloon goes quiet. Jolene whispers. Everyone's gathering round his body. Miss Savannah groans and gets to her knees, sees the shattered glass, us hiding beside the window. Oh, no, she says. What happened? He was going to hurt her, I say, my tears threatening to spill. What do I do? Miss Savannah's right cheek is redder than her lipstick, a black eye sure to follow. You two better get out of here, she tells us. Jolene asks why. He attacked us with self-defense. I know, honey, but I guarantee the rest of the gang won't see it like that, and it won't take nothing to convince a crowd that's already all hopped up. They're gonna know it was me, I say. That's my bag on top of his head. Miss Savannah says, I'll say Henry came in with it, bragging how he just stole the bag from some kid. He demanded I accept some of the contents as payment. What about the window? Jolene asks. How'd he fall? It'll be a lot less controversial if they think Henry was going after me and I gave him and his stolen goods a little shove. Word gets out that he messed with you, the whole town could get in a fight with the jumpers. We don't need that. Me? They ain't going to care so much on account of my position. Thank you, Jolene says, dragging me to the door. Just hope you're okay. I will be, Miss Savannah says, locking the door behind us. My brain stuck, my feet glued to the floor. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to run. I don't know who can help. Jolene tugs my wrist and says, Stay close. We rush down the stairs and across the empty saloon, out the front doors. No one on Main Street, either. I whisper, When something happens, everyone goes, don't they? Like flies to dung, Jolene says. Buildings line both sides of the street. Bank, barber, trader, house of curiosities. Where to? Cahoots, she says. Ain't no one gonna be there. We hurry across the street to the back of the buildings. You okay after all that up there? I ask. I'm okay, she says. You? I ignore her question because my answer would be an outright lie. What about Miss Savannah? You think she'll be all right? She can take care of herself. Trust me. I guess I'm worried they won't believe her, I say, trying to block the crunch of Henry's skull getting smushed. With that big bruise on her face, they got no reason to doubt her. So we hide out? Till when? It won't be long now until my father goes looking for me, Jolene says. When he stumbles upon that scene, it won't be pleasant. I wouldn't mess with your pa, even if I was a jumper, I say. No kidding. Jolene slows down and creeps around the corner. Cahoot's general store towers in front of us. 
Must all be out back of the sidewinder, she whispers. Every time I've been in town, Cahoots is overflowing with folks. The line out the door. Let's hurry, I say, worried someone might spot us. The welcoming smell of paper, bread, and coffee comforts me, stirs up memories of Pa bringing me in as a tyke to pick out penny candy. The aisles look as they always have. Tons of essentials everywhere you turn. Tons of stuff you don't know you need until you see it, too. Well, I'll be dipped in shit, James Woodman says, his baritone echoing off the walls. If it ain't the son of the iron forger, he smiles ear to ear. What brings you and this little lady in? And don't you look as wrung out as a pickle left in the sun? I glance over my shoulder, don't see nothing but empty street. The jumpers raising hell at the sidewinder. So, that's where everyone ran off to, Mr. Woodman says. We just barely scraped out of there, Jolene says before I can spill what happened. Had to dodge out Miss Savannah's room. Mr. Woodman shakes his head, his smile ever present. Now, what's a young couple like you doing in her room, then? He laughs. Never mind. I can use my imagination. She saved us, hit us, Jolene says, sounding like tears aren't far off. Tried to keep Henry off me? We've already blown Miss Savannah's story, so I say, hit him out the window with my saddlebag. We scooted out the place. Now we're here. That's quite a tall tale, young fella, Mr. Woodman says, adding an uncomfortable chuckle. Jolene says, May sound like one, but it's the truth. Then you better hurry back to your pa, he tells me. And you, he says to Jolene, you hide out back here until the dust settles. Jolene tells Mr. Woodman okay, but I'm just thinking of the long walk home with no food or water. To myself more than them, I say, Pa's going to kill me coming back losing nearly all my load. Better than losing your life, Jolene says. Put that hand up here, Mr. Woodman says. Let me take a gander. I oblige. Why? I recall I still owe you four dollars from last month, Mr. Woodman says. I'll square up. Throw you two something to eat and some soft drinks to make up for it being late. That work? I try to hide it, but my eyes go wide. I thought we were even. You sure, Mr. Woodman? Absolutely, he says, handing me the bills he just took from the till. I thank him and push the bills all the way down my pocket. Thanks again. Definitely going to help. Voices outside. Lots of them. Get to the back of the store, to the barrels, Mr. Woodman says in the most serious tone I've ever heard him use. 